0: You're listening to Get A World on the Podcast Network. This is episode number 276. My guest today is Dr. John Demartini, a world-leading inspirational speaker and author who has written over 40 books, does over 300 talks a year from the United States. We're going to talk about uh, motivation and uh, how to be successful in your life. Coming up in a couple of minutes, Dr. John Demartini. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, the story you are about to hear is true. Only the names have
1: been changed to protect the innocent. We have a legacy of freedom and privilege which has been won by hard struggle, hasn't been given by from above. It's been won, but we have it, and we can use that uh, to help people who are suffering seriously uh, if we try. Well, the singularity is a future time which will be profoundly transformative where the machine intelligence we're creating will be billions of times more powerful than our own biological intelligence
0: last we'll year what's next for Robert Scoble what do you think you're going to be doing three four years from now oh, uh, well hopefully uh, we've
1: We'll have a successful launch of Longhorn. I, I want to stick around for my- with Microsoft for at least four more years. Around what I call the because effect rather than the with effect. In other words, I can make more money because of my blog than with Anything my blog. Anything of this magnitude only happens because enormous numbers of people want it to happen and are willing to commit time and energy and money.
0: Hello. Dr. Demartini? Martini. Yes. This is Cameron Riley from the Podcast Network in Australia. How are you this afternoon? I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm very good, thank you. Are you ready for our interview? I'm ready for the interview. Excellent. Well, thank you very much for coming on the show. It's a real privilege to talk to you. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. Now, I stumbled across your work a couple of months ago when I was talking to a friend of mine in Sydney, Australia, and I was uh, we were talking about, I don't know, philosophies of life and of success, and I think I said something like, the questions you ask yourself define your reality, and she said to me, Wow, you must be into Dr. John Demartini. And I said, no. And she said, go and have a look at his website. And I did. And I went, wow, this guy sounds like he just stepped out of my brain. Uh, Can you tell us a little bit, for people who aren't familiar with your work, how long you've been uh, writing your books? I believe you've written over 40 books. Am I right?
1: Well, I've, I've actually written way more than that if I consider manuscripts and things, about 257 books. But I am constantly writing, constantly researching, constantly traveling, constantly speaking. I think I've done 252. Tonight will be 253 speeches so far this year already.
0: How does somebody get into the uh, motivational writing and speaking business?
1: Well, I've been doing it 35 years. November will be 35 years, and I um, I, I love it. I, I, I got involved in it since I was 17 when I lived on the north shore of Hawaii, and I met a great teacher who inspired me to be involved in it. And uh, I've been focused on it ever since. It's been my love ever since.
0: Now, uh, why don't you explain, if you can, what the Martini Method is?
1: Well, just as you stated wisely a moment ago, that the quality of our lives are based on the quality of the questions we ask. And when events occur in our life that we think are traumatic or terrible or, you know, torturous or something, and if we never ask the question, so how does this service and how can we use it to our greatest advantage and, and where we've done these types of things so we can humble ourselves and, and uh, you know, ask a series of questions that calm it down and allow us to not have baggage about it but to use it to our greatest advantage, then this is wisdom. And the method is about how to take things that we think are chaotic and stressful and mistakes, and how to see the hidden order in them, and uh, be thankful, and turn them into fuel.
0: <clears throat> when, when you say hidden order, what do you mean by that?
1: Well, in in the program that I teach around the world, called the Breakthrough Experience. I I introduce the Demartini method in there, and they take events that they think, you know, are somehow mistakes, or they wish they hadn't happened, or these kind of things, mm. or things that they've been hurt by in their mind. And I show them how to see them in such a way where they see the opposites. Because in, in reality, the human perceptual system, if it sees uh, something that like uh, criticism or whatever, it's actually comparing it to something that it's addicted to that's called praise. And there's always a pair of opposites in every perception. And whenever you understand the the, the balance of that and see both sides, then neither one of them influence you. You don't get infatuated with one or resentful to the other. And you get untouched by it. And then you're able to not react, but you're able to act with that information and that, in, that experience and turn it into an opportunity.
0: You know, I, <laughs> so I, I,
1: I tell people, I say, listen, it's never what happens to you. It's how you perceive it. And you have the command over your perceptions. As William James said, the greatest discovery of our generations, that human beings can alter their lives by altering their perceptions and attitudes of mind. And so the Demartini Method is a science of how to extract out of any event something to be grateful for and so we can open our heart to life again and love again.
0: You know, I was doing an interview with a young uh, serial entrepreneur in Australia a few days ago, and I was asking him what he thought the difference between entrepreneurs and non-entrepreneurs is. And one of the things that he said is that entrepreneurs look at risk and criticism differently than non-entrepreneurs. You know, he said that in his life and experience, whenever... He has attempted something and failed he doesn't really see it as failure. he sees it as a a, a lesson refinement that he can then build upon exactly refinement
1: yeah, it's a refinement. I always see things as refinement well, you know I always say when uh, a person perceives their life in childhood, adulthood, or teenage years or whatever where they perceive that they need more support than challenge, they typically work for other people and they look like their umbilical cords looking for a place to plug in. And the people who perceive that they were challenged more than supported, they usually become entrepreneurs because they're accustomed to challenge, and they've turned it into opportunities through trial and error. And I always say that, just like this gentleman said, that uh, there's nothing that's happening to you except opportunity. And if you perceive it in such a way that it becomes baggage instead of fuel, then that's your choice of perception. An entrepreneur takes whatever happens to him and uses it as a refining tool and then go out and goes and focuses on what their mission is and links whatever that event is to their mission and then takes advantage of it.
0: Now this gets me to The Secret um, I, I know that you were one of the people who were featured in Rhonda Burns or the film uh, of Rhonda Burns' uh, book, The Secret And uh, this is a subject that I've debated with a lot of people over the last couple of years since I saw it uh, You know, to me, the uh, I, I got very frustrated by the film, I have to be honest Not because I thought it was wrong, just because I thought it took two hours to say something that could have been said in five minutes which, to me, was always, look, if you know what you want and you're focused on achieving something, you've got a much better chance of actually achieving it than if you don't know what you want, because you'll never know that you've achieved it, right? And yet, there, there seemed to be a whole bunch of uh, what I would describe as pseudo-mystical mumbo-jumbo in The Secret... When, when you're looking at this, and I note that in the materials I read on you, it said that the De Martini Method is derived from a study of quantum physics, which I find fascinating. Is there anything mystical happening in this process, John, or is it just simply that if you in focus the, the on what you method? want, you get there? Well, on the De Martini Method or in this thing, The Secret, about achieving what you want –
1: do you see it as well, the Demarcini method and the secret are two entirely different things. The, uh, the work, I've been involved in quantum physics and studying physics for 34 years now. In fact, I was just recently with Freeman Day Dyson at the Institute of Advanced Studies at Princeton recently discussing it. And uh, so my background in that is, is quite solid. I, I don't consider the Demarcini method and the secret exactly the same thing by any means. The secret, I think you have, uh, it's been interpreted by Rhonda Byrne as a mystical thing, but I think, I, I don't think it's a mystical thing. I think it's a, p- a very practical thing, the idea that if you concentrate on something, you tend to notice things in your environment. You increase the probability of seeing them, acting upon them. Uh, they tend to, uh, you tend to persevere towards them. There's some very practical things that are non-mystical on how those things occur. And at the same time, you you can't deny, or we can't deny that, you know, I've asked probably a million people across the world. How many of you have gone to pick up a telephone to pick it up and intended to call somebody, and boom, they were on the phone before you even dialed. And that certain is something that it's hard to explain, but it's certainly something we've all experienced. Most of us have. And uh, I don't call it mystical. I call it synchronous. Uh, you know, mystical has a more of a religious connotation or something that's sort of supernatural. I really believe that there's, a, there's a laws that govern things, and when we understand those laws, they'll be understood and thought through. I always say that what was once a mystery becomes a history, and what once a, an unknown becomes a known. We just haven't uh, uncovered some of them yet. So we call them mystical until we uncover the secrets behind them.
0: <clears throat> yeah, I think it was um, either Arthur C. Clarke or Isaac Asimov that said any sufficiently advanced technology seems to be magic.
1: Exactly. Well, I would say that to, to, you know, in in history, I've recently written a thing on intelligence, and uh, my observation is that the great minds through history, as they were exploring the mysteries of life, uh, they had to have an innate, uh, an underlying sense that there was a rational order in the universe. So they wouldn't have perceived the, the, that would pursue the objective of keep searching for these answers. So inherent inside us is a, a tendency to want to find the rationality and believe in a rationality in this this chaotic and mystical, or not mystical, but mysterious world. And and the reality is once they find it, they go, wow, there is a hidden order to it. And it was only hidden because we didn't take the time to, to bypass the variables and the factors that are involved because they're innumerable. And uh, when we finally uncover it, then we find it. Like Newton's principio, he found understanding the things beforehand, mm-hmm. and, uh, and the elliptical orbits of Kepler, and and uh, some of the things that we learn in astronomy and philosophy and physics, these things at once were mysteries. Now they're understood, and they're totally rational things. And I think that what happens is we'll uncover the, the principles behind the secret. Right now, some of them are seem mystical, but they're really practical. I have In my Demartini method, I've developed some scientific uh, rationale behind why the things <laughs> occur that other people in the seminar think are mystical uh, whether that's a working model or uh, a solid model is to be seen but at the reality it's the closest model we've got so we work with it until we got a greater model
0: so what do you think is happening to me it seems as simple as if you decide about what you want to what you want to achieve if you said before once you know what you want to achieve you are you are searching through everything that happens to try and find opportunities to realize your objective. Whereas if you don't have an objective you're focused on, all of these opportunities that come up during the day, you're not using to your advantage. It To me, it seems, am I missing something? It seems very simple. No,
1: I think you're on some, I, I always say that everybody has a hierarchy of values or a priority set and whatever's highest on their value, they tend to be focused on, reliable, you know, inspired by, etc. Whatever's lowest on their value, they tend to procrastinate, hesitate, frustrate, and have inertia about. In other words, if you walk in a mall and you're a woman, your highest value is kids, you'll see kids stuff in the mall. If your highest value is business, you'll see business stuff in the mall. But a business person won't see kids stuff, and a kids person won't see business stuff. So they're filtering out with a selective attention the, the reality of their environment And so the more intentful they are in focusing on it, obviously, the more they see in the environment that supports it. And they tend to omit things that challenge it and tend to concentrate on things that support it. And we call those sometimes synchronous, but they're actually concentrated thoughts. And uh, so we end up finding more and more synchronicity the more and more we intend things because of our values. And that's not anything mystical. That's, um, you know, simply concentrated focus and attention. And we all do that and uh, we we when we start to see things that align and support our values we tend to talk about it when it doesn't we tend to not talk about it but our, our reality is that there's a there is a rationale behind some of the things that occur in the synchronous moments in our life
0: i read about 20 years ago a part of the brain called the reticular activating system that apparently plays a role in helping filter all of this data that we get every day and deciding which parts of it are relevant to who we are and what we're doing and which parts of it can be relegated to the subconscious?
1: Well, the reticular activating system works through the whole nervous system, literally from the most primitive regions of the nervous system in the spinal cord all the way up into the brainstem and beyond. It's got different names as it goes up, but it has a stimulatory and facilitatory and inhibitory center. And anything that supports your values, it stimulates it, wakes it up, activates the awake uh, sympathetic system to to take on. And uh, anything that shuts down that system is because it's challenging the value system. So our values actually drive that. And our values are based on what we think is missing and what we're seeking in life. We think we're not having money, we seek money, so that which becomes valuable. Whatever is most missing becomes most important in our life. And that determines what turns on and turns off the reticular activating system to for survival mechanisms.
0: Let me ask you a question, John. I, I have a, a lot of people come to me these days since I started in my own entrepreneurial efforts, and they say to me, look, I'm, I'm in a corporate environment, and I feel like I'm – not really achieving what I should be achieving in life, but I don't really know what it is I'm supposed to do. And so I'm just staying here until I figure it out, what my great meaning, what my great purpose is. What, what, what advice do you give to people like that when they come to your seminars? How do they f- discover what it is their purpose is?
1: Well, I, I would say that, as I said a moment ago, that, that our hierarchy of values dictates our destiny. And what happens is, and, and as those values change, so does our destinies change and our journey in life is based on a series of those destinies. And what happens is whatever's highest on our value, we tend to notice an environment, like I was mentioning, and we tend to go in that direction. But what happens is we minimize ourselves relative to outside authorities when we become uh, infatuated with people or put people on pedestals, and then we inject the values of others into our life. And when we do, we tend to try to live somebody else's values, and when we do, we confuse ourselves. And now we consciously are striving for one thing, but unconsciously trying to live according to our real values. And this moral dilemma and conflict creates confusion, and it, it puts us into a situation where we live in fear and guilt and cloud the clarity of what we know we wanna do in life. So I always say it's not wise to subordinate yourself to other authorities, but to learn from them and stand on their shoulders and see bigger horizons, not stand in their shadows. But to be true to your values, know what your values are. In, in all my books, The Breakthrough Experience, The Heart of Love, The, the How to Make One Hell of a Profit to Still Get to Heaven, almost all the books talk about the values and how important it is to know who you are with your values and, and set goals that are congruent and aligned to them because otherwise you're going to self-defeat and, when you're, and you're going to confuse yourself. Be clear and true to yourself. That's the key.
0: Uh, and with all due respect, I mean, that sounds correct, but I guess for a lot of people, this idea of being true to yourself seems to be a, a difficult concept because they would perhaps respond that they don't know who they are or what they're supposed to do. That's that's the first stumbling block for them.
1: You know, but I, in my breakthrough experience, I get confronted by that every week. People tell me that, and every week we show them that they do know. So if you look very clear how you fill space, how you spend your time, how you spend your energy, how you spend your money… Where are you most organized? Where are you most disciplined, reliable, focused? What do you think about most, visualize and dream about most? What do you internally converse with yourself about most? What do you externally converse with others about? What are you most inspired by and what your top goals are? If you look at them and we look at them for over a period of time, you'll see that they're pointing you consistently in your life's demonstrations in a direction. And to... Uh, overlook those and inject values and ideals of other people and overlook what your body and life is demonstrating is what confuses people. Your life is demonstrating. I I ask people, you know, how many of you want to be wealthy, for instance, and everybody puts their hand up. And I say, how many of you are financially independent? They all put their hands down. And I said, you all fantasize about being wealthy, but in your hierarchy of values, you have a higher value on spending your money and living a decent lifestyle, and you never save your money. So as long as you don't save your money, living for financial independence is going to be a fantasy and a delusion. So what your life demonstrates and what you say you want are two different things. That's why you have to look at what your life demonstrates, because that's what is based on your values. That's why your values dictate what you see, what you act upon, and make decisions. Everybody's making decisions according to their values every single moment in their life. And so knowing what those are is very simple. And there's a a tool and a science on how to determine those.
0: You know, by any historical or international measure, isn't pretty much everyone living in the developed world today obscenely wealthy already?
1: Well, I guess one person's luxury is another person's, uh, you know, poverty. I would say that, uh, you know, compared to South Africa or Africa or some places in Asia where they make $200 a year, you know, particularly someone like myself, who makes more than that in a matter of minutes, I would say, yeah, and the average person in America is obviously making way more than the person, uh, you know, in certain places of South Africa, for instance. So, yes, there's no doubt But at the same time there's, there's scales and, you know, it's kind of a relative term because even in America you've got a whole scale of people that are relatively impoverished, even though they're still doing better than some of the people in Africa. So it's a scale from the most extreme poverty to the most extreme wealth, I think.
0: I'm reading a book at the moment called Affluence that uh, was written by a couple of Australian uh, authors a couple of years ago. And they mention the fact that in a country like Australia, and the United States would be very similar, that again, by any historical measurement or, or international measurement, we are incredibly well off. In fact, I think in Australia in the last, since 1950, the net household income adjusted to inflation has gone up by 300%. And yet they say that if you interview, if you survey the population, over 65% of people say that they uh, don't have enough money to get by and they're suffering from record levels of anxiety and depression. What? Well, why do you think that is? Well, I always
1: say that it's not how much money you make, it's how you manage what you make that counts. And the hierarchy of your values and your priorities determine how you manage. Look, I had an opportunity to do a consulting with a doctor who made $6.29 million recently. And here he is, six point nine two nine million million. At the end of the year, he was concerned because he had to borrow $327,000 to pay his taxes. And what's interesting is because of his values, he had a high value on nice cars and travels and parties and this and that. But he didn't have a high value on saving money and going and paying his taxes. Now here's another thing, we had a a funny thing is that the lady working for him who made $24,000 a year, $2,000 a month, was saving $400 a month. She was closer to financial independence than he will ever be because her value was saving money and saving 20% of her money. His value was living at a high lifestyle. So because of his value, he led him to one place where he was in, you know, having to borrow money to pay taxes, and her lifestyle was totally different because she had a focus on saving money. The hierarchy of your values dictates your financial destiny. So when people say, I don't have enough money, it's because they have a different set of values. It's leading them to that outcome. I have a guy who's in, in Africa... He's 14 years old, he's got nine brothers and sisters, he's got no parents, they both died of age, he makes $200 a year, it takes an hour and 15 minutes to get to work and that to get back, and he's saving 15% of his income today, because of a talk I did and also the book I gave him. So that, you know, it's not a matter how much money you make, it's how you manage it, and your values will dictate it, and if you don't have a high value on saving money and building wealth, then you're going to be living in a fantasy and a delusion, you're going to be going, gee, by now I thought I'd be.
0: Mm. I think it's—is is your latest book called The Gratitude Effect? The Gratitude
1: Effect is coming out this week, actually. Uh, coming out this following week, I mean. And, uh, yeah, it's just—it's uh, about how the impact that gratitude has on all areas of life, spiritually and mentally and career, financial, family, social, physical, all areas. The impact that gratitude can have.
0: I'd like, I'd like to talk to you a bit more about that. I mean, one of the— uh techniques I guess that I've learned over the last few years when I'm facing a difficult personal business situation is to sit down and start asking myself all of the things that I'm grateful for in my life and it's amazing the emotional and psychological impact that that has on me absolutely in, in times when otherwise I'm feeling depressed so can you explain what, what you say the gratitude effect is about
1: Well, you see, in quantum physics, every event is neutral until somebody measures it and interprets it. You know, it's just like a magnet. You know, you think there's a positive-negative pole of a magnet, but just try to cut it in half and get it. You'll never get it. The positive-negative are inseparable according to Maxwell's laws. You won't separate those things. So anytime you think something is terrible or terrific, you're not really seeing the whole. You're seeing only a part, and your biased evaluation of your your own values are evaluating it. Wisdom is seeing that every event is neutral until you choose to make it a heaven or a hell out of it. And I always say that whatever you're seeing, if you see it in a balanced fashion, it'll waken up a feeling of gratitude because you'll see the hidden order to it. You'll see how it's, in a sense, contributing to your life. If you see all the positives without the negatives, you're going to get infatuated with it and then be blind by the infatuation. If you see all the negatives without a positive, you'll be blind by the resentment. If you see a balance, you'll be grateful and see the hidden order in life. And I say that when you do, that's what opens and allows you to rise through paradoxes, allows you to break through baggage and emotions, and allows you to go forward. And what you're saying by going through and thinking about what you're grateful for in challenging moments is the smartest thing I could advise people to do. And not just in general, but specifically about that event. When you think that there's a trauma or a tragedy or a terrible, go find out how does it serve you and how is it going to help you fulfill your greatest mission and your highest values. And I guarantee if you answer that question, it relieves the stress and, and all of a sudden you get on with your life.
0: Uh, now, you were married to an Australian astrologer, Athena Starwoman, who unfortunately passed away from breast cancer a couple of years ago. So you've you've had a direct experience recently in, I guess, applying a lot of this. Uh, can you Do you mind talking to us a little bit about how you used your own uh, philosophies to deal with something incredibly traumatic like losing a partner?
1: Well, yeah, I'd be glad to. <clears throat> First of all, Athena was an amazing woman. I mean, if anybody who knew her knew that. And she was a great contribution to my life. And I'm very grateful that I had 12 and a half years to be with her. She was truly a, truly a contribution. But at the same time, uh, you know, it was her time. And I can live in a fantasy that uh, that's not so, or I can embrace the reality of what's happening. And thank her for for what she's contributed, and and be thankful for every step of the way, and and thankful for the timing that, that that's been chosen for her to pass. I mean, I can't make it wrong; otherwise, I'm comparing it to my fantasy, and I'm projecting my expectations on it. So I sat down and I did the De Martini method on it, and uh, cleared the emotional baggage on it. Felt her presence, communicated my love and appreciation to her, and I still feel when I when I've had a when I think about her, I can bring her up in my mind, and I can be thankful for her whether she's embodied or not, I feel, I feel that there's a connection there in memory or whatever. and so that's why I do and I, I use that and I know that, that uh, if I had died earlier and she or she had died, we both agreed that no matter what, we would get on with our lives and live our lives to the fullest, whoever went first. And I intend to do that, and I think that's the most honorable thing I can do for her too.
0: Mm. Now a lot of the stuff that you've been mentioning about uh, how you interpret the events reminds me of Shakespeare. Nothing is good or bad, but thinking makes it so.
1: Absolutely. I think that, uh, you know, we have the greatest gift of our mind is the ability to decide how to perceive things and and how to interpret things. And and the Martini method that I've developed is uh, something I've been working on for 34 years. Excuse me. And during that 34 years, uh, studying psychology and philosophy and and brain research and everything, and I'm absolutely convinced. I mean, I've been doing it thousands and thousands of people. I'm absolutely convinced that no matter what happens to you, it does not have to be anything other than something to be thankful for. You can turn anything. I mean, I've had people that have deaths in their family, that have had, that have had uh, dismemberment, I've had people, I mean, you know, bankrupt, I've mean, had people that have been raped or incessant. Then it's not what happens to you. It's how you decide to see it. And you can turn any of those situations into an opportunity and move forward, or you can sit there and use it as baggage and be the victim the rest of your life. And I choose to see things in a way that it empowers me and be grateful I find that why wait a day, a week, a month, a year, or five years later to find out the terrific and the things you think are terrible? Why not have the wisdom of the ages without the aging process by looking now?
0: One of the uh, things I like to suggest people do is grab a copy of the Rich 200 list in Australia, which comes out every year. Uh, one of their business magazines here puts it out. And have a look at the stories of the wealthiest 200 people in Australia, something like 90% of them. First generation immigrants who came to Australia couldn't speak the language, had no money, went bankrupt, started a business, went bankrupt. But for some reason, now they're you know some of the wealthiest people in the country. As you say, it's obviously not your circumstances or what happens to you that no. matters. Oh,
1: no. Look- and I, I have seen, I've, I've been to Africa, I've been to Asia, I've been to Tibet, I've been to different places, and I've seen poverty, and I've seen challenges, and there's always somebody that takes it and uses it to their greatest advantage. And I always say that uh, the more down and out you've been, the more up and in you're capable of going. It's the challenges. And you read the biographies. I've, I've read hundreds and hundreds of biographies of great world leaders and great contributors to the world. And if you look, not one of them had a passive beginning. They all had challenges. I mean, look at Newton. Uh, No father, and then mother was kind of gave him up. And uh, if you look very carefully, almost all the great people have some big challenges in their life. So I'd say that if you've got a challenge, great. Now let's look how we can use it.
0: Now, let me ask you a question about mainstream media. I, I have this theory that mainstream media in the Western countries is deliberately engineered to engender indifference and pessimism. In uh, their audience. And you know, part of the pr- trouble is trying to get people to stop tuning in and, and, and becoming brainwashed by the mainstream media and how they want you to be. Have you got any thoughts on the mainstream media's role and how people think about their abilities in life?
1: Well, I guess uh, if, if if somebody was watching a TV show and and everybody on the TV show is you know you know ultimately fulfilled and doing unbelievable things and and they would probably feel even more depressed to watching that. <clears throat> so I guess if they see, you know, more challenges, they don't feel so bad about their life. I'm sure that's part of the mechanism. But uh, not all TV shows have that. I mean, you know, I would say that probably are try- true in the sense of the majority, but not all of them. There's definitely TV shows that have specials that are inspiring and stories that are inspiring. And, you know, I I, uh, I don't watch a lot of TV, but unless I'm on it, when I am, I'm trying to bring something <laughs> inspirational there. So I would say that uh, there's some TV that's out there that's got some great contribution. And the other is, I guess, uh, giving a relativity for people so they can appreciate their lives.
0: All right. Well, look, I really appreciate... People People,
1: uh, white. I would say that the mass media specializes in sensational black and white issues. Yeah. And so that grabs attention quick because otherwise people go on to the next channel, I guess.
0: Yeah. So uh, if, if people are uh, hearing about your work for the first time and they want to get more involved, I know you come to Australia fairly regularly to do your events and uh, we have a large part of our audience is in the US and I believe you're in Seattle this morning when I'm talking to you, one of my favourite uh, towns. Uh, yeah,
1: I, to, I was in uh, Vancouver last night and Portland the night before, and now I'm in Seattle.
0: So people can go to your website, DrDmartini.com, to get the uh, schedule of your speaking engagements and seminars? They certainly
1: can. They can go to DrDmartini.com and check out the website and see what we're doing, uh, find out when we're there. I think we'll be back in uh, Australia, I think, in the end of September, early October, something like that, or October. And, um yeah, we we'll look forward to doing a little tour there again. I come there somewhere. I've been coming there four or five times a year. I think this next year we'll be there twice in 2008. But, uh, yeah, I love it. I, I mean, I, I have homes there in Australia, and I go back and forth, so it's uh, like, like a second home there.
0: Oh, fantastic! Well, look again. I really appreciate you coming on. If you got any uh, last, final words of advice for the audience, John.
1: Well, I think that uh, this has been a great, entertaining uh, conversation. I appreciate it. I I just say that uh, what you said and what I'm agreeing to is that it is wise to be clear about what you want in life. Look at what your life demonstrates is important to you. You know, don't try to subordinate and try to be somebody you're not. Envy is ignorance. Imitation is suicide. And and go after and set some goals and make some plans on your life and take action steps every day towards them and be grateful every night. If you're grateful for what you got, you get more to be grateful for. And then when you look in the mirror, say to yourself, no matter what I've done or not done, I'm worthy of love. And, and just honor yourself and realize you have a great contribution to give to the world.
0: All right. Well, thanks for your time, John.
1: Thank you. I appreciate it. Great questions, and, and uh, you're thought-provoking, and you're, you're educated, and it's, it's rewarding. Thank you. I don't get those exact questions often.